Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off-the-shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs' Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to the founder and CEO of a company that helps organisations on finding strong foundations for growth and productivity. So let's not delay, let's get Michael, our guest, into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Michael. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you very much, TC. Thank you for um, inviting me to this um, podcast. Appreciate it. That's great. It's great to have you on. And tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? So um, I was for many years in investment banking um, up until January this year when I decided to branch out myself and set up a um, firm of advisory, an advisory firm with some colleagues of mine. And really what we do is that we're out there supporting clients to help them solve the critical day-to-day issues, which I think um, historically has bedeviled a lot of people. And us being subject matter experts, we believe that we can bring an alternative viewpoint to the table, right. something different which clients I think can appreciate. Excellent. That sounds really good. And we'll kind of go into a bit more into the kind of work that your organisation does. I'm really kind of interested around you know your journey around the tech space. What's that been like? It's been it's been interesting. I mean, I think there's a let's let me dispel a, an urban myth. I mean. Now, we talk a lot. We talk a lot about technology now, like it's something new. But if you look at, say, um, banking, financial services, for example, right? It is a technology technology hotbed. All right. So really, for me, from my first experience of my first working day um, to where I am now, um, I have been very much, you know, intimately involved in technology. So, I'll give you an example, uh, my first role outside after playing rugby <clears throat> was. Um, Working for uh, a product in um, for business and global investment bank in London, and we had in flight a a new um, trading platform. So now I come from a very different background, and I've been told to UAT a <laughs> trading platform, you know. But that just so, that just shows you, and you know the, how how important technology was because what this what this new platform did was it enabled us to boost not just revenue, but productivity and efficiency. And there was a big drive to really reduce our ability, our manual interactions and interventions in the, in the workspace. So, and that's really followed me all through the years. And that's why bank is a fantastic um, test bed and hotbed for technology. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. I mean, it's great that you kind of had experienced that. It is a tough question actually on that front. Do you think um, in the early days, technology did kind of assist and took some of that kind of manual stuff out and automated stuff maybe and kind of linked systems up. Do you think technology's kind of lost sight of what it's trying to do now? Sometimes I hear stories about technology for technology's sake and it's not actually helping people anymore. I mean, is that something that you've experienced in your kind of journey? Yeah, I, I was thinking about that ahead of this meeting today and I think what we have made technology become is some kind of abstract concept. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
technology, if you, you know, if you look for the ages of humankind and you ask yourself, how did we get to where we are now? It's through technology. And I think our, my technology colleagues would always have to, I always tell them that they have to understand that they have to also to be commercial astute as well, you know? Technology doesn't work in isolation to the business, nor does business work in isolation to the technology. And I think what we've unfortunately had over the years that we've now had this situation where you've had a technology department or, the, or technology industry really to a certain degree operate in the vacuum to um, the wider world. But then I then ask yourself, look at Tesla. What is it exactly? Mm. It is a technology company that's in cars and it's in batteries, but it's not a car company. Yeah. You know, and that's where that's where they've melded the technology with the commercial ability to create a new business. Apple's another classic example. Mm. Technology company that's in um, consumer some consumer goods. Yeah, that's great. So coming on to your company now, uh, mm. the company that you founded uh, mm. and the CEO of, what's the problem that it's solving in the market? What's the <clears throat> sentence that kind of indicates the problem? So the problem is when you look at um Strategy, strategy, especially at a at a macro level, and I'm talking about management committees and board level here, they tend to be developed in isolation to the business execution side. And I haven't been on the buy side of some of these um, strategy papers or um, been having to implement some of the strategies done by boards. I've always realised that it bears no resemblance to what happened on the ground. So what we're trying to do is, you know, we're by no way, shape, or form consultants or by way of like um, uh, designing, what I mean by that is um, our background or advisors by background, we're all subject matter experts. And we've all had the same issue over the years that we, you know, we, there's a dislocation between business execution, operational efficiency, operational management and strategy, you know? And that's why if you look, I mean, I there's different, there's brand different of data out there, but I think 80% of projects never hit their target or even actually get um, uh, go live. And there's a reason for that, because you're not you're not melding business execution with um, strategy. So what we're looking to do is offer clients an alternative to that and say, look, you know, if you want someone to help you, support you on how the data they should be managed mm. you come to us because what good looks like really is not very pretty but what mm. it does it future proofs your business and creates a sustainable organization behind it so it's about really the practical aspect of what should be happening day to day and that's what we bring to the table excellent that sounds great and it sounds like a very tough space to be in i imagine it's mm. not always uh, nice well it's, you know it's uh, going to be a meeting of ideas you know mm. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, I think you you find that you know, on the one hand, you know, you get um, uh, companies say, oh, I don't like advisors, I don't like consultants, and yet they're going to spend millions of dollars bringing them in, right? <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> you know, um, and I think, you know, and you know, what we're trying to do counterintuitively, so looking at, you know, we come from the business execution, we're all practitioners and um, in our specific domains, and what we want to do is show these organizations or what we want to do what we are showing these organizations is the fact that they can be better managed better on if they only looked at the issues and realized that this, the problems to this to the to the problems of the issues tend to lie in-house the problems they do have is their ability to identify that 
create the framework, the governance, and also identify the talent to manage it going forward. So when we bring a solution on board or where we support them idea to solution, what we're also looking to do is create that framework around how they can be sustainable going forward. So you don't need to bring these expensive um, suited uh, advisors and consultants on board every time. What you could be doing is be able to source out in-house. And then if you do need additional support, because a third perspective is always very important. Bring that in on an ad hoc basis. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, and I think that's what trying to, you know, trying to build that into the psyche. But, you know, it, it's a challenge because, you know, it's ideas and um, views are set in, in a lot of respects, right? You know, and but you have to, you know, you have to constantly break down these um, quite um, uh, ingrained views. Yeah, that's, that sounds, um, it's almost like you're kind of, uh, you're kind of coaching the organisations by being that kind of external party. Um, you, your agenda is very clean, you know, you, you're out for the outcomes of the organisation as opposed to the politics or whatever is going on in, in the organisation. Yeah, we're very keen to be good corporate citizens. So, you know, one thing we do is when we go into an organisation, we, we then assume the position of um uh, employees want to bear with, right? You know, yeah. um, stakeholders, right, um, of that organization. So I do believe that you cannot support and advise an organization if you don't have any sense of understanding of who they are and what yeah. they are, what's their DNA. I hate to use that word, such a, such a very <laughs> business school speak. Yeah. But, you know, you get my, um, um, you get my gist. Um, yeah. So I think it's very important that we understand who these guys are. And that's why, you know, we're a small team and it, there's the reason why we're a small team and we're proud of that is because we can actually work, build trust and relationships with mm, them. Like because that. if you look, you know, trust leads to relationships, relationships lead to opportunities. Mm. And you're not going to do that if you've got a portfolio of 2,000 companies and you're giving yes. five minutes of your time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it you know? sounds very concentrated and, and very personal as well. I love this yes. idea of creating those relationships because you know for me um, my mantra a relationship first you can build everything builds from that you know so that's great so coming on to your, your, yourself michael you know mm. i'm really curious as, to, as a leader what's your passion what makes you jump out of bed in the morning i think hmm, what makes you jump out of bed in the morning i think the ability to do good and do something different um and um be of service to others right and i know people's what do you mean by that well look Success, I think, and again, success has unfortunately over the years been determined from a very economic standpoint. And whereas for me, it's not never been about, of course, great, you know, you earn, you earn good money, but it's really been about what value, what positive added value you bring to someone's life, someone's way of doing things and someone's ability to improve themselves. So that's what gets me up in the morning, right? Now. How can we be better? How can we make the other person better? So um, yes. from a leadership perspective, that's what I strive for all the time. Brilliant, I love it. And um, and what are the kind of things as a, as a leader, you know, uh, of your organisation, the work you do? What, what kind of stuff keeps you up at night? You know, the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure something keeps you up at night. I think over the years, you know, I've learned to manage stress. Um, we're not getting any younger, TC, so we have to. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have to <laughs> we have mental wealth being right. Um, but I think that the the thing that still concerns me and always will, especially now that I've moved into this advisory space, is really about there's three types of failure always. There's a failure to learn, a failure to anticipate, and a failure to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I found that very much so in my years as COO in banking. 
um, and increasingly when you speak to clients now, um, you get one of those three, sometimes all three in one. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, and that's but you know, and the worst thing is when you when you work in this advisory space, you know, you you don't just see from a macro level the organization, you see the market from a macro level. And you know, you 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 keep your ear to ground and stand what's going on insofar as advances and technology, for example, and you're trying to support these organizations, tell them there's a pothole there. Do not go down there. And yet they're still going down there within it. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a magnetism, uh, a gravity, you know? Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, so, and as I said, you know, therein lies the crux of it, right? Failure to anticipate, failure to learn, failure to adapt and what to do about it. Yeah, that's great. The great words, actually. I'm going to, uh, I think, you know, it's almost like, a, you know, you've got a full deck, you know, you kind of get the full light. You go, there you go, all three of them, you know? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and your leadership. I'm curious as to how you roll as a leader. You know, what what are you like to the to the to the teams that you have? Well, I the, the first rule I have is very simply: treat others as you wish to be treated yourself. So um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm firmly believe that you have to give people dignity and give them respect. And if you want people to be successful, you have to give them responsibility. Um, and you have to give them accountability as well. People want to feel valued, you know. And you know, for me, it's also my views. How I manage is how I I like to be managed, which means not micromanaging. I like to be left alone. At the end of the day, I said to my direction, I was in banking. Look, you know, come to me if you want coaching. If you want managing, that's not me. Mm. I am a coach, not a manager. And the idea is you you you. You give them that ability, that clearance, really, to front that word, to really build something in their own likeness so far as they hit a certain parameter. So that's what I like to do. I mean, that way people flourish that way. And you, know, you get a lot more, not just massive authority, but you get people put more of themselves into not just the organization, but into themselves as well as human beings. And that's very important. So that's really what I try to try to achieve with people. Excellent. And we, you know, creating these kind of teams that you're working with are delivering value for you uh, and maybe your kind of clients. What are the things that, what are the tips you have around making sure that, you know, things like communication is good and creating alignment? I mean, that old chestnut, you know, getting people, all the kittens to kind of go in the same direction, you know. Um, have you got any tips for other tech leaders out there around things that you do that work for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about communication, communication, you've got to communicate, but... <laughs> increasingly over the years i've come to believe that's not what you need you need to find comprehension you yeah. know so i always tell people it's not communication well anyone can communicate but if they don't comprehend then there's a problem yeah. so you have to find comprehension and then there's the second thing alignment you have to understand where the other person's coming from you know what pushes their buttons what you know humankind whether we agree or not um, consciously or subconsciously we all want selfishly things to go our own way. Yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a fact. You know, so really you've got to understand where they're coming from, why they have an alternative view or why they have a stance which is contrary to yours. Don't admonish them for that. Understand that point of view and mm. try to find comprehension between yeah. both sides. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know, I always say to people, you know, especially in, the, um, in my world of banking, that, you know, if you really want to, 
develop as a person, work as a COO. Why? Because we're jack of all trains, king of none. And mm. we need, we have, only thing we have is influence. <laughs> yes. Yeah? yeah. And to build that influence, you have to build understanding. You have to build trust. Yeah. And therein comes alignment. And it goes back to earlier on, we talked about basically what do value X partners bring to the table of client base is what you realize about that is that theoretical strategy paper, or let's say, or business idea or program you've thought up and it looks great on the PowerPoint. If it doesn't work on a day to day, it doesn't matter. Mm. All right. It's not worth the papers written on. So, and you find that when you get comprehension, when you get alignment, what good looks like is not very pretty, but it does the job. Mm. And it's about trying to get people to understand that yeah. good looks like it's not necessarily pretty, but it gets the job done yes. and it moves you forward. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, one more thing, if I may add, is people got to realize as well that everything's on a baby step. By all means, have a, you know, have a, have a, you know, a moonshot um, um, view, but realize that you need to take baby steps to get there. Mm. You know? And that's very yeah. important. Yeah, I like that. I love, I love how you kind of describe, Michael. You kind of, you're not painting a perfect picture of the process here. It is kind of a bit messy, and it is, yeah. you know, and uh, and I, I like that because uh, you know that's the honest truth. The, the things don't always go to plan. They're not, they're yeah. not smooth, you know, and uh, and and real life is is full of lots of kind of turns and and meeting of ideas, you know. Um, yeah. And um, I love this term that you kind of mentioned here, the comprehension. I mean, so give us an example of how. You know, communication is going on, and but the comprehension isn't there. Classic one. I mean, you're in a meeting, and um, you're trying to decide on one particular point on the agenda, and you've got two opposing camps. Everyone's talking, they're communicating, gesticulating, mm. maybe raising voices, maybe talking sideways to, to the person next to them. But as you well notice in some of these meetings, you achieve nothing whatsoever mm. because there's been no comprehension. <laughs> Yeah. No one's taking time to understand why do you have that point of view? You know, why is it important to you? You know, what makes this so um, valuable to your point of view? And then vice versa. We've all been in the same um, scenario. You're in a meeting room. Um, there's a very important agenda item. Everyone's talking. Um, you have opposing camps. We have opposing camps. You have difference of opinion. Yeah. But you end up after a 45-minute meeting. They should have, well, sorry. A two-hour meeting should have been 45 minutes ended and no one has a clue what's about what happened because nothing was agreed because there was no comprehension. Yeah. And I think what you then find is, you know, why I say to people, you know, because no one spent time to understand the other point of view. Why do they have that point of view? Why is it so important? Why? And how, you know, how can you uh, um, allay some fears or how can you further develop certain positions they have and without having any any um, uh, objections in your point of your side, what I mean by that is, if someone says that yellow ball is blue, don't discount it straight away. Ask them, why is it blue? Mm. <laughs> You'd be surprised what the thinking process is. And, yeah. you know, for me, it's, that's one thing I've learned over the years, that you know, I have to seek comprehension because ultimately that person's rationale for having that opposing view may well be something I might support, I might solve for them right mm-hmm. via another way but because but because i haven't asked that question initially i've gone ahead let's say for example with my position you know so it's about really and and that's and and, and for me the meetings are always the most classic one 
because it happens every single time. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's <laughs> right. It reminds me of um, Stephen Covey's uh, "Seek to Seek to Understand uh, Before Being Seek to Be Understood." You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's that yeah. beautiful kind of. Uh, and I, and the great thing about um, just to kind of champion this viewpoint for tech leaders out there is is that it's surprising what emerges from these conversations. You know, when you do understand the why, it's it's sometimes a blind spot. You know, you're just not yeah. seeing it from there. So uh, that's great. I've got a question here around a topic that's quite um, heavily debated by tech leaders, um, you know, augmenting teams. You know, I, I don't know if you're involved in kind of a development of software or development of technology, um, you know, automations and what have you. Um, what's your opinion on kind of use of uh, external companies, like, for example, contractors or outsourcing projects to other organizations or even insourcing people in to, to the teams that you're working with? Well, yeah. I'm a big fan, um, and I'll caveat that though, um, only because I mean, depending on what the issue is, what the project is, mm-hmm. and the reason why I say that is, you know, in any organisation, especially as a COO, when I was a COO in um, in, in banks, um, you're not going to have all the competencies in house. It's just a fact of life, mm-hmm. um, and. What contractors, let's say contractors, for example, contractors are very good because they're usually SMEs um, and they've worked in multiple organizations and they'll bring something different to the equation. Yeah. And the problem you have in organizations is groupthink. We don't realize it, it's a subject solved very quickly, but it does set in very quickly, it fossilizes very quickly. And I think, you know, if you don't look at what's outside, you'll be doing things in total isolation to what the to the real world and you find out when you when you when you then you know raise your head above the parapets um you realize you know oh gosh i've done something totally wrong so um i think at the same time when i outsource for example when i have outsourced it's like you know um uh, uh adam smith's law about basic comparative advantage or comparable advantage and it's just a fact there are some companies out there who will do what you do better mm. That's a fact. And what you should be doing is, again, with your hard commercial hat on, is say, how can I improve the productivity and efficiency of my organization, um, given what my resources? And in some cases, it may well be cheaper, more efficient for you and put for you to outsource it. Yes. And if you insource, you then have to say, you know, again, the, the reverse of that, why am I insourcing? Is it because I need to build my competencies in-house? to be, become more self-reliant to some degree yes you do but by insourcing you also build um, sustainability in your organization and i think it's by finding that happy medium you know cost efficiency is great to a certain degree but the flip side of that is when you really want to derive real benefits productivity how do you improve productivity and that's the challenge yeah that's great that's great advice on that and coming on to uh, growing pains of companies i imagine you've worked for companies that are growing uh, have grown still growing um what do you in your opinion what's the foundations for growth and to maybe uh some form of uh, kind of pain relief to, to reduce that pain of growth i think um in my experience where companies have grown i think sometimes they've grown too fast um i think um they've grown the headline business has grown to a point whereby it's clouded all the issues that lie behind. And we've chased growth as opposed to um, what I call sustainability. Call it profitability or whatever, or whatever you want to call it, but sustainability. What do I mean by sustainability? 
your ability to manage your business in an efficient and productive manner, come rain or shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what happens with when you grow too quickly. The growing pains, of course, you're growing too quickly, nothing else is catching up to it, you know? And unfortunately, especially in the, in, a, in, in the capital market side, at that stage, when you lose, you lose big. Because <laughs> right. yeah? you haven't built the framework, the fabric to support it. Yes. You know, so I'm always so I'm always the view that by all means, let's grow, let's have a growth strategy. And I, I've been involved in many of them. Um, but we have to do it in a sustainable way, which means baby steps, right? Knowing what our vision is, but making sure that each step we get there, we're making sure we're building a sustainable platform. We're iterating it, we're making it work, we're bedding it in, and then moving to the next stage. Yes, I like that. It's, a, it's almost uh, mitigating. Um, I always like the idea of kind of various various types of debt. You know, there's an admin debt, there's a there's a uh, technical debt, but there's a growth debt as well. Because if you grow too fast, the structures and the kind of frameworks needed to kind of support that aren't really there. You can kind of yeah. have to kind of think ahead. Yeah, that's that's a that's a fascinating topic. So, Michael, um, again, through your experience and companies you work for, and, and maybe in turning to your organisation as well, are there any engineering challenges your industry is facing? Yeah. Um... I think the biggest one, which has been around for many years, is our ability, and I say our, I use the, my, I've got my banking hat on, our ability to manage data, um, how it's produced, how it's consumed, how it's managed, how it's disposed of. Um, and you find within financial services that there has been, the technology, probably both, um, the two most important things within a financial services institution, you know, the ability to lend loans there, for example, I need debt from you to be able to lend a loan, to to lend money, right? You know, the ability to transact on the capital markets with counterparty A or counterparty B requires me to have data, right? And one of the challenges we've always had is how do you manage it? You know, where is it? Where does it live? Um, Who's using it at any one time? Who's got got input to it? Um, So, over the years, and I think maybe there was a, there was a turbo boost to it from the um, 2008-9 global financial crisis about, I think one of the issues of people forget the headlines and ask, you know, what was the biggest challenges that regulators had? It was just, yeah, it was just KYC. KYC, AML were big things. But it's about the fact that, you know, what's KYC? Know your clients. A lot of organizations did not know their clients. Because why? Their data was so poor, <laughs> you yes, know? Yeah. And they didn't manage it mostly per manual was paper-based it all adds up right yeah. and then when you're having when you when you're having a, a global database of like hundreds of millions and millions of customers most of it in manual how do you expect to manage it you know yeah. i just spent any one time to know where things are so that's why there's been a huge proliferation of data management and big data analytics solutions out there i mean some good some bad some ugly but by and large um, the rationale for that is very good because it had to happen. Um, and I think, you know, the best organizations are the data savvy ones, you know? Mm. Um, yes. and then I don't want to, I don't start naming organizations out here, but people can <laughs> Google and see organizations for themselves. Right. But, you know, yeah. um, it's, you look at the ones who are really trailblazing with the digital bank platforms or who trans transitioned from what your, your, your normal stodgy bank into maybe a digital offering. It's the ones who've been able to manage that data and um, produce it, consume it, uh, dispose of it the best. 
Excellent. I like that. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a, there's a lot of data, oceans of the stuff, and mm. and yet it sits there just kind of uh, not being used yeah. effectively. And also you kind of mentioned around the um, the quality of the data, you know, is it is it actually telling you what you need to tell, you know? Yeah, and one thing I'll say that, TC, just to add one more thing about quality of the data is I've always said to my, especially my directs when I've been a CEO is, do not give me management information, give me management intelligence, mm. you know? And of mm. course, people don't mean, don't say MI. When I, when I say, I don't want MI, I want MI. Mm. And I think when you, when, you, when you break it down for people, anyone can produce data, you know? Anyone can produce data, but very few can produce insightful, salient information. Right. And you need that data to tell you in two seconds, 30 seconds, what is going on. Yes, I'm supposed to go in for reams and reams of paper to find out not what is going on. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that's, that's a really, challenge. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point because uh, you know just throwing data over the fence doesn't solve anything. You want yeah. it, it's got to be an interpretation. Um, so I'm going to pretend now to be the tech genie. Okay, I'm going to offer you mm. a tech wish for your leadership or your tech leadership. What would you wish for? Hmm, I think. I was thinking about this this morning. I think, um, what would I wish for from a tech genie? We talked about a dashboard. I think one of the things I think clients would benefit from is the ability to see in real time what's, how the impact their decisions have on their day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I say that is because when you meet clients, especially boards and mancoms, everyone talks very to a very strategic level. That's well and good. But we forget that a day-to-day still exists and i think you know it's trying to give these guys a dashboard and say this decision you have made you're going to make or this decision you've made has a real-time effect here you know i think for me that would be great you know being not a uh, technologist per se one thing i have always wanted is technology tools to help me deliver a message right you know yeah um so that's you know that's you know people ask me you know why am i so keen on technology because it helps me get into areas I could never go myself. Yes. Um, like and that's that. where I think I, I'll ask a genie, give me something like that. And over time, of course, we'll iterate it, of course, put some bells and whistles on it. Uh, I'll brew something help. up for you. I'll see what I can do on that front <laughs> for you, Michael. Brilliant. And, and as we come to the full stop of the podcast, what's your key takeaway that you'd like to offer the men, women, uh, tech leaders out there uh, as a parting gift, as a, as a key takeaway? I think what I said earlier really about the key takeaway for me is, and I think that, you know, our technology partners need to understand that they are absolutely crucial to any organization. Um, and what they have to do though, because it has to be proactive action on their part is to move to this side of the commercial aspect of things. They need to have one leg in the technology side and one leg in the commercial aspect of things. Yeah. That's just a fact of life. Um, and that is not to say that to you know, our partners are, People like me on the business side don't have to do that. Of course we do. But I think our technology partners just need to realize that um, that they are crucial, but they're crucial insofar as how they help us form and shape the agenda. Brilliant. They're they're not the ones who basically um, implement. They support its drafting and its uh, final execution. Excellent. Great note to finish on, Michael. Thank you for your time. It's been great having you on board. Thank you, TC. Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Wow, some great advice there from Michael. I can really see the problem that Michael's firm is solving in the market, making sure that the strategy at the business level is not dislocated from the business execution. 
I love how he and his colleagues are able to bring their practical experience to drive the productivity and create that alignment. So what were your key takeaways? These were mine. My first key takeaway is around Michael's great explanation around communication. And it's not just about communicating. There has to be comprehension. I don't know about you, but I've been in meetings where there's been lots of talking, but not a lot of understanding and alignment. So you have to really make sure that you understand what others are saying as their resistance may be pointing to a blind spot that you're not seeing. Mm. And my second key takeaway is Michael's perspective on organisational partners for insourcing and outsourcing and how this can be incredibly useful, but with a caveat that there has to be a clear reason why you're bringing external partners in. In his own words, he explained how it injects new ideas and new concepts in the organisation as organisations can very quickly become fossilised, really quickly. The external injection of external partners not only allows you to ramp up quick, it also breathes new ways of doing things into the body of the organisation. My third and final key takeaway is around data management. Michael made a great explanation here. Data shouldn't just deliver management information, it has to give management insights. That data has to tell you something more than just some indicators on a dashboard. So thank you for your time, Michael. I really enjoyed our discussion and hearing your leader's knowledge and your passion around making organisations more productive. I look forward to hearing more about your great work and the success of your clients through your hard work. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.